let's get into the word. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5 today. We've been uh, working through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're in fact going to go right into 2 Thessalonians when we're done with this one. So we're tacking those two together. But go ahead and turn to chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I will read, and uh, we'll pray, and then we'll look at this word together. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to your word today, specifically as we look at this text, which speaks to us about the imminent return of Christ, a day that that will come upon the earth in an unexpected way for many, yet we are, we are not called to be surprised. We are called to be prepared. We are called to live ready. We are called to live lives that anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. You've given us work to do. You've given us a mission. You've equipped us for that mission by your Holy Spirit. You've called us to be your church, to be your body, to do your work here on the earth. And so I pray that you would stir up our hearts today. Awaken those of us who are asleep and who have become spiritually lethargic. Cause us to live lives of passionate readiness for the return of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that it would do its work in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we talk about what it means to live ready, let me just remind you real quick, Paul has gotten to a place in his letter where he's addressing a couple of specific concerns, things that they have written to him about. He begins with addressing sanctification, specifically in the area of sexual, sexual morality, and then Last, last week, we, we saw him continue on with these specific concerns as he talked about what has happened to those who have died before us in Christ. And now, kind of following up on that one, he points us uh, to a little more detail about what he wants the church to know about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. A few things that I want to point out from this passage that You'll see on the handout, if you receive that handout on the way in, let's go ahead and fill in some blanks together. The first thing that we want to know about the return of Jesus is that the return of Jesus will be a surprise to those who are not living for him. 
It'll be a surprise. There will not be uh, emails that go out. You will not receive text messages of warnings. This is not like a, a tornado watch where somebody's going to let you know, hey, you might want to get into your basement. It's going to come as a surprise for those who are not living for him. This is what we see in verse 2. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul uses the analogy here of a thief coming in the night. Nobody knows, nobody anticipates, unless you live in Arnold, nobody anticipates a thief coming in the middle of the night. Just te- I'm just teasing. Lower Borough's not exactly doing great right now, if you saw the news yesterday. But the, the, the analogy here is that this will come as a surprise. A thief coming in the middle of the night is meant to, to invoke this image of something unexpected, of, of something obviously bad, but, but, but most of all, something that comes as a surprise. Not only is it unexpected, but the opposite is expected. Paul says, when they say peace and security, when they feel like things are okay, when the world is in a state of what could possibly go wrong, we've figured this thing out. We've, you know, we've eradicated many of the things that used to threaten people's lives and we've sort of evolved and come to this place of peace and security in the world, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Like labor pains on a pregnant woman. I remember well when Kim was pregnant with each of our two girls. And I remember that, and that sort of, that anticipation. You, you, you wanted it to happen. You, you wanted the hour to come, and yet you couldn't, you found that you couldn't live constantly in this state of preparedness and so you just sort of like let your guard down and then all of a sudden then comes the labor pains Paul says this is what it will be like at the return of Jesus when they say peace and security when they perhaps least expect it Jesus spoke in similar ways Jesus spoke in Matthew 24 I apologize Uh, a lot of my supporting text won't be on the screen The, the main Thessalonian text will be on the screen today um, but I'm going to read some, some passages that, that won't be there. But you can jot down the references if, if you care. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. This is how Jesus spoke of that day. He says, now concerning that day, an hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Jesus is speaking of himself, of course. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. 
This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Christians live in this weird tension of, you know, we, we get so overwhelmed, I think, overwhelmed by all of the bad stuff that's happening in this world. And if you're like me, you're like, Lord Jesus, come. Come and establish your kingdom on earth. Come and bring, bring about the days when, which you will rule and reign over the nations and, and everything will be good. We will have the perfect leader. We will, have, we will have King Jesus ruling over us and in his kingdom things will be glorious and magnificent. If, you, if you're like me as a Christian, you long for that day. And yet there's this sort of painful awareness that that day will not be a good day for many. That that day will be a day of destruction. That when Jesus comes to judge, we know many will still be on the judgment side of his return. And so we live in this sort of tension between we, we long to see Jesus come and yet there feels like, it feels like there's so much unfinished work and people that we, we long to see come to, come to Christ for salvation so that on that day they're not surprised. So that on that day they don't receive judgment as we'll see here as we get a little bit further into this passage. But the reality is and the thing that we need to know is that the return of Jesus will be a surprise to those who are not living for him. It will come unexpectedly. And so we don't, we don't expect the world to understand what is happening. We don't expect everyone to, to be in on, on, on what's going on. We know that, that, they, that Jesus will come at a time when people think, hey, what could go wrong? Things are going pretty well. I think back to the time before World War I when the world had, had, had really, a lot of people thought that we had sort of reached this, this place in human evolution where a lot of the things that used to plague men like disease and sicknesses and, and, and grotesque wars were done. They thought, the, the, the world generally thought that, that things were going to be smooth sailing and, and good from here on out. And then World War I happened and people didn't know how to cope. They didn't know how to deal with the idea of, of young men dying horrific deaths fighting in the trenches of Europe. In fact, a lot of great and, and meaningful literature comes out of that period of people just trying to understand what happened to our world? What happened to society? Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why, why in, in a day and age when we have so much, does there seem to be so much just chaos and tension and hatred? What's going on with all of this? Well, one thing that we know is that the return of Jesus will happen at a time when many do not expect him. The next thing you see on the handout, though, is this. The return of Jesus should not be a surprise to those who are living in anticipation of his return. His, his return should not come as a surprise to everybody. 
In fact, many, many of us should be living ready. We should be prepared. We should not be caught off guard by his return. Verse 4 says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. There's two camps of people. There's those who are in the dark and those who are in the light. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. If Jesus came back today, would you be surprised? I mean, on some level, I think there's always going to be that element of surprise. I didn't know today was going to be the day. But would you be ready? Would you, if, if Jesus returned today, would that be good news for you? That's a, just a real quick litmus test of whether or not you're in the dark or in the light? Just ask yourself that question. Would, he, would I be happy to see him? Would he be happy to see me? What would that reunion be like? Paul says, we are children of the light. He's, he's writing to the Thessalonians whose, whose faith he has commended in the first couple of chapters and whose, whose Christian witness he has, he has commended. And he says, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. There needs to be a clear contrast between Christians and non-Christians. It needs to be evident. You need to have a faith that is so clear and a relationship with Christ that is so um, obvious in your life that others would vouch for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. He's a Christian. She's a believer. She's definitely a follower of Christ. This is the confidence that Paul has in the Thessalonian believers. Do others have that same confidence in you? Do they see that there's clear evidence of, of your allegiance to Christ? Again, I want to refer back to Matthew 24. I want to look. I want to sort of parallel the words of Paul here with some of the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. In, in 24 verse 45, Jesus says it this way. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Blessed is the servant whose master finds doing his job when he comes. That's what it means to live in the light. That's what it means to be, to live ready and to be prepared for the return of Jesus, to be doing what he gave us to do, to be busy about the Father's work. This is, this is why it shouldn't be a surprise because we're preparing for his return. He said, I'm coming back, do this, this, and this until I come back. And if we're doing this, this, and this, we're ready. We're, we're, we're anticipating his return. But if we're doing something else, if we're making our lives not about kingdom business, 
Not about the, the great commission of making disciples and baptizing new believers and teaching people to observe what Jesus has commanded. If we're, if we're, if we're not doing the business of Acts 1-8 of being Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, if we're, if we're not doing what he has given us to do and what he has commanded us to do, we're not going to be ready. But if we're doing that, Jesus himself says we're blessed because the master will return and he'll find us doing the job he gave us to do. And we'll be promoted. That's what's awesome about verse 47. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. We'll share in his glory and in his eternal kingdom. The return of Jesus should not be a surprise to those who are living in anticipation of his return. I, I, I want to I just keep putting the ball back in your court a little bit here. Are, is that you? I want to I keep asking that question. Which, where do you see yourself in this picture? There's two options. Those who are, are living in the dark who are not doing what what Jesus gave us to do, those who are living in the light, who are about the Father's business, who are carrying out the commands and the commissions of Jesus, and those ones will be blessed and they will be rewarded and they will be promoted and they will share in Christ's kingdom. And they won't be surprised. We had a, a busy few weeks here Really busy few weeks here at Redemption. We had, um, just this past week, we had the preaching and teaching, annual preaching and teaching workshop that we do with Steel City Church Planning Network. We had, it was, it was a really great three days. We had about 18 guys from four or five different churches together. Just, I mean, we were just neck deep in the word and really sharpening each other and, and doing everything that we could to get better at handling God's word so that the church will be strengthened and, um, but that was like that was one of like several things that have been going on, and I was talking to Greg and, and Marty, and I forget kind of how the conversation went exactly, but we were just looking ahead and thinking like, okay, you know, when do we want to when do we want to let our foot off the gas and sort of recoup, and when do we want to make sure that our foot is on the gas? And um, we were talking about the Sarver initiative and the things that we're hoping to see God do there. And we just kind of came to the conclusion, it's like, you know what, we're going to be, something's going to fill the hole. We're going to be busy no matter what. We might as well be busy doing something that counts. <laughs> Life sort of fills the voids for us no matter what our, no matter what our intentions are. I don't know anybody that's not busy. People think, ah, well, I'll retire and things will slow down. Retired people are like the busiest people I know. You go into retirement and all of a sudden everybody knows you got free time, so they think. Like, we're all busy. But are we busy doing things that count? Are we busy doing things that will have a reward in eternity? Are we busy doing the things that Jesus gave us to do? That's what it means to be living in the light, to be doing the right things. I mean, more so than that, it means believing in Jesus Christ and, and, and following him as your, as your Lord. But, but specifically, day to day, 
To live, and to, to live in the light is to be busy doing his work. Remember the words of Jesus. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. When Jesus returns, will he find you doing your job? Will he find you doing the work that he gave you to do? All right, let's move on. Next thing on the handout is this. We are called to be prepared and always ready to welcome him back to the earth. We are called to be prepared and always ready to welcome him back to the earth. Paul goes on to say, you know, he, he ended with verses four and, or we left off with verses four and five, but you brothers and sisters are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Then he says in verse six, where we pick it up. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. And put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. So Paul's building the imagery here. He's comparing darkness with light. He's comparing night with day. Now he's comparing those who are drunk with those who are sober. And, and there may be an application here for for actual drunkenness, what we initially think of as you know, being drunk on alcohol or other substances, but he's talking spiritually. He's, there's, there's a distinction between those who are sleepy and lethargic and sort of out of it, disconnected, and then there's those who are alert. They're sober. They're on guard. They're ready. They are awake. Is, that's what we're called to be. We are called to be prepared and always ready to welcome him back to the earth. Do you see the stark contrast between awake and self-controlled, living in light of the coming return of Jesus versus just sort of stumbling through life, not really giving the proper attention to preparing for his return, participating in, in all of the, the worldliness and, and all of the things that lead us uh, into that darkness. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. And then he calls on us to put on an armor. <laughs> armor suggests that you're in a battle. And I think too often we forget that. We live in, in so many ways that's comfortable lives that we forget that we're actually in a battle. We forget the need to be dressed appropriately. And, and, and the armor specifically that he calls us to put on is this breastplate of faith and love. Put on the armor of faith and love. Faith, confidence in, in, in Jesus' word. Faith, confidence in Jesus's return. Faith is confidence that we belong to the light and therefore have been given a commission 
to prepare for his return. That's faith. Believing in him, holding on to his promises and to his truth, but also love. It's a we- that's a weird piece of armor to wear in battle. We are not fighting a fight that is malicious. We are not fighting a fight where it is our, it is our directive to, to kill and to conquer. We are fighting a fight to love. We're fighting a fight to love those who attack us. That takes the real work of the Spirit of God. When you're being attacked and when your faith is being ridiculed and mocked and the things that you hold to as important as, and as dear to you are just totally being removed from the society that you live in, do you still love? Or do you sort of drift towards the dark side, if you will, and say, well, I'm, I'm just going to hate those who hate me. I'm going to attack those who attack me. We're called to put on the armor of faith and love, faith, believing in Jesus, and trusting in his word, and, and preparing for his imminent return, knowing that when he comes back, he will make all things right, knowing that he is up to him to place this world back into order. And love, knowing that those who present themselves as our enemies aren't actually our enemies. That's such a, that's such a weird gear to shift in your mind that those who present themselves and appear to be my enemies are the very ones I'm called to love, are the very ones that I need to pray for, have compassion for. They're the ones that we're trying to win over to to our side in this battle. That's what it means to put on the, the armor of faith and love, to be prepared with that mindset, to live that way. And then he says to put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. The helmet of a hope of salvation. Verse 9 in, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The helmet of the hope of salvation is the confidence that Jesus, having died for us, has delivered us from wrath. Wrath is is God's just punishment for sin. Wrath is is the rightful rightful inheritance and the, the, the rightful payment for those who have sinned against God. But we know that in Jesus, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? How is it that we have this confidence that we won't receive wrath, we won't be punished, we, won't, we, we, we don't stand in anticipation of getting what we deserve? How is it that we have been rescued and delivered from wrath and been appointed to obtain salvation? What's right here in the text? Through our Lord Jesus who died for us. 
That's how we go from wrath to mercy. Because Jesus died in our place. He took your place on the cross. That's the the infinitely good news of the gospel. Is that the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins, Jesus received upon himself. He went to the cross for us. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. He died to pay our debt. That's the gospel. He stood in your place. He took your punishment so that you could be rescued from wrath and obtain salvation. And Paul says, so that whether we are awake or asleep, this is a little bit confusing because he switches back to an old analogy. He's no longer talking about being asleep in the form of not being ready for Jesus' return or being spiritually drunk and and not being alert or self-controlled. Now he's back to what we saw in last week's passage, this idea of being asleep, meaning being dead in Christ. He says, for... So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Remember, that's, that's where Paul started this whole thing. Well, what about those who have died before Christ's return? We will all be together with him at his return. Jesus will resurrect their bodies, bring their souls with him. We will be raptured up into the air and join him at his return to the earth. We are called to be prepared and always ready to welcome him back to the earth. We've got a couple more here. Let's keep going. We are commanded, the next thing on the handout, we are commanded to encourage and build up each other with these truths. Just as we saw in last week's passage that the reason Paul wrote those things was so that the Thessalonian believers would encourage one another and help each other and comfort each other in their grief through those truths. So Paul gives a similar command here. He says, therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. The goal of Paul talking about the the coming and the return of Jesus is not because Paul just loves to talk eschatology like some some people do. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not his That's not his aim or his desire. The goal of this is that he wants them to use these truths. The truth that Jesus Christ is coming, that he will return, and that those who are are anticipating his return and are ready for him when he comes will be rewarded and promoted in his kingdom. He says, use these truths to encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. One of the things that we often miss in, in I, I, don't, I don't know if it's just American Christianity or if it's just this, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's just culturally specific to us in America or, or, or how far this extends. But one of the things that we often miss is we treat our Christian faith as, as such a personal thing that we lose the so... Um, prevalent command throughout the New Testament to not just look to our own salvation and our own spiritual well-being, but to look out for each other. There's a responsibility in New Testament Christianity, there's a responsibility to one another. 
There's a responsibility to encourage and to build up, but also to, to care for one another, to at times, you know, call, uh, call out one another and ensure that each other are not falling asleep and falling into this spiritual drunkenness that so many live in, but that we are to remain alert. We have a responsibility to one another. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. A couple of things from that passage that support what we're seeing here in First Thessalonians. One is there's this same command to, to sort of hold on to our faith without wavering. There's this, in a similar way that Paul says, be prepared, be alert. The author of Hebrews says, hold on, to, hold on to the confession of our hope. Hold on to our faith and don't waver. Don't, don't fall asleep. Don't give up. Don't look back. Don't, don't be caught unready for the return of Christ because he who promised is faithful. But then he, he uses that command and piggybacks on it to say, let us consider one another. For what reason? When you think, let me ask you this, if, if you were to be honest. When you think about other people, are your thoughts generally positive towards them or negative towards them? There's, there's this natural human tendency to... I think live in such competition with one another and to always be eager to point out the bad that we see in somebody else because in some sinful, fallen, broken way, it it makes us feel better about ourselves. We're called to think about each other. We are called to consider, as Hebrews says, one another, but not so that we can tear them down and not so that we can make ourselves feel better by by. pointing out where they're struggling, we're called to consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. We're called to build each other up. What if you just spent five minutes today thinking about somebody other than yourself and focused your thoughts on how can I build them up? How can I encourage them in their faith? How can I help them run this race? How can I help them remain alert and survive this insane world? And then what if you were to do that regularly? That's exactly what we're commanded to do. To consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. But Hebrews goes on to say, and this is essential for obeying these commands, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. The practice of Christians being together, and I'm not just talking Sunday morning because Sunday morning might be the, 
it's not the most efficient way to accomplish this. Sunday morning is the most important time of our week, I think, in a lot of ways. Sunday morning, gathering together for corporate worship. There are things that happen when we gather together on Sunday morning that just don't happen if we don't do this. This is really important. But this isn't all that, Paul, or all that the author of Hebrews is talking about. There's more to gathering together than just a Sunday morning worship service. He says, not neglecting to gather together as some as in the ha- are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. Being together throughout the week, staying in contact with one another, having relationships. This is where Sunday can be a little bit deficient because you can slip in and slip out on Sunday and not really build any relationships. You can, you can come here and not really, not really reveal anything about yourself. I mean, just look at what we're doing right now. This is, not, this is not communal in nature. You're all sitting there staring at me while I talk. That's not very relational. It has its purpose. We're not going to stop doing it. We value this. We think this is, this is the most important thing we do. But it's not everything we're called to do. We're not done. You don't leave here Sunday morning like, ah, that's it, I did church. Yeah, you did Sunday morning worship, and that's good. Don't stop doing that. But, but to, to live out these commands, you're going to have to have relationships. You're going to have to gather together with people, whether it's going to dinner or playing a sport together or, or whatever, just hanging out. Man, what a beautiful time. You're just hanging out together around a fire or have a little cookout together. And use that as an opportunity to build up one another. Gather together in order to provoke one another to love and good works. And then Hebrews uses the imminent return of Christ as added motivation. But encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. The closer you get either to the return of Christ or to your going to see him through death, the more you ought to be motivated. You should be more motivated today than yesterday to do these things because you're either one day closer to Christ coming to earth or you going to him. Either way, you have less time. Use that as motivation Use that as motivation to love. Use that as motivation to have faith. Use that as motivation to spread the gospel. This is what we're commanded to, to encourage and build up each other with these truths. So let me just land the plane here and end really just with putting this back on you to consider, are you living ready? Are you living ready for the return of Christ? Are you alert and sober-minded spiritually? Are you building his church? Are you obeying his commands to make disciples and to be his witnesses? Are you doing the job that he has called you to do? Remember what Jesus said, blessed is the one his master finds him doing his job. That's what it means to live ready. To live doing the things that he's given us to do. 
to be living alert and spiritually aware and building up the church and living with one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, taking the gospel out into the world, sharing the good news of Jesus' death on our behalf so that others might be saved and delivered from wrath. Are you living ready? If not, what do you need to do differently this week? How can you use your time? How can you, I assume most of us are going to work this week. How can you use that time for Christ's purposes? Maybe it's a Bible study at lunch or before or after work or just a little prayer group or, you know, maybe, maybe you just say to some of your coworkers, hey, you know, I'm just going to take like 10 minutes at lunch every day and read a chapter of scripture and then just pray for the people that we work with here. If you ever want to join me for that, I'd love to have you. Something as simple as that. Or, or, or how, do you, how do you turn some of the things that you're already doing, some of the activities that you enjoy, you know? It's we're, one of my favorite things about Western Pennsylvania is this like three-week boating season that we get, you know, where it's like nice enough to be on the water. We have great water here in Western PA. Maybe some of you love to boat. How can you use that as an opportunity hey, why don't we get together and go to church on Sunday morning and then go out on, on the river afterwards? You know, I don't know, whatever it is that you're, you're doing, how can you use that to bring, to, to bring into those situations what Christ wants you to do with your life? I'm not asking, it's not like you have to like quit your job and move to Africa and be a full-time missionary. You can be a missionary where you're at right now doing what you already do, but you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to be intentional about it. You're going to have to be what, what Paul calls alert and sober-minded, aware of your opportunities. Are you living ready? If not, what do you need to do differently this week?